Ready to go? Thank you, Tanya and Steve. Well, we've come to the uh, main message portion of our service now, so I hope you have your Bibles or a reasonable facsimile with you <laughs> as we can study the Scripture together. Let's start with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this service, and thank you for what you're going to teach us. We've come here anxious to learn. Lord, you've taught us the lesson that your word is so important to us. We've even named our congregation after that reality, Word of God, Christian Fellowship. So Lord, uh, we thank you for the living word, Jesus Christ, and we thank you for your written word. So let the Holy Spirit open our minds and hearts now to take in what you've prepared for us. And uh, it's not just the hearing of the word that's important, but it's more importantly the doing of the word. So help us along those lines. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Well, I wanted to share a little lesson that we learned in the Bible study this past Wednesday. We've been studying the book of James, so I'd like you to open your Bibles to the book of James, the first of the general epistles toward the back of your Bible. I think you all know where it is. You know, from the time God calls us, and we respond to that calling. We hear the gospel. We believe it in faith. We have a certain period of time in our lives, not only to be transformed by God, but also to demonstrate to people around us what it means to be a Christian. It's often called your Christian witness. In other words, how you live your life every day in public now that you're a Christian. So it's important for us to believe, to accept Jesus, and to be changed by God. But it is also important for us to live a proper Christian witness to others. Now, I don't mean, you know, hitting them over the head with your Bible and condemning them of their sins. That's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to humbly live a life that represents who we now are, children of God. James talks about this in the first chapter of James, and he kind of sums it up neatly into three points. Three of the major things we need to be aware of in our lives if we're to demonstrate a proper Christian witness to others. And you know what? It may be through your witness that other people are called to salvation in Jesus Christ. There's something about your life, there's something about you that people are going to respond to. And they're going to say, you know what? I want to be like that. I want my life to be like his or hers. And people have been called in that way through the witness of others. Let's look at James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. This is a very powerful short passage in the Bible. And it applies to each of us today. So let's kind of dig into this and see what we can find about ourselves and our personal Christian witness. We'll read through it first of all. He says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his or her tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So he brings out three points in this passage that I'd like to look at today. 
First of all, in verse 26, he talks about being religious. That's kind of an unfortunate translation of that word. That word is only used five times in the New Testament. And elsewhere, it's translated worship or worshiping. So in other words, if you consider yourself to be a worshiper, a true worshiper of God, and you know, that's what we've come to do here today. We've come to worship Him. So that's an important part of each and every one of our lives. So he says, if anyone considers himself to be a true worshiper, and first of all, this is point number one, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his worship is worthless. That's a powerful statement. Because you know what? When I come here every Sunday morning... I want my worship to mean something, certainly to God and to me. That's why I come here every Sunday morning. I want to worship this great God, this merciful God who has saved us from our sins in Jesus Christ and who has planned such a tremendous future for all of us, eternal life with him. So when I come to worship God, I want that worship to mean something, to be of some value to God and to me. But yet he says here, considering our tongue and the things that come out of our mouths, if we don't hold a tight rein on this tongue that we have, our worship is worthless as far as God is concerned. Wow, that's powerful. I don't want that to happen, so God says... The first thing you need to be concerned about in your Christian witness is your speech. You know, so many of us go day to day and throughout the day not paying a whole lot of heed to what comes out of our mouth. You know, remember back in Jesus' day, people were were really concerned about what goes into our mouth. You know, in the Old Testament, they had dietary laws. You know, you can eat that kind of food, but you can't eat certain kind of foods. And the Jews were very strict about that. And you know, they still are to this day. When you look at the Jews, and I'm not criticizing them in any way, but they're very concerned about kosher, what's kosher. They'll only eat kosher foods, and they'll only eat certain foods that they feel God has made clean, and they won't eat unclean foods. And Jesus told them one time, you know what? It's not what enters a man's mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out. In other words, the words that you're saying all the time, your interactions with other people, that's what's most important. Notice what James says a little bit later on in this book, James 3, beginning in verse 5. James 3, beginning in verse 5. So imagine this, the first most important thing about our Christian witness to the people that, that are around us, not here at church, but out there in the world, at work, at school, The first thing that they should take note of is what comes out of our mouth. James says in James 3, beginning in verse 5, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. They see that out in California right now. All those fires started from little tiny sparks. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. 
Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed. Just go to SeaWorld. You see these wonderful things. They've been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? Well, the answer is no. My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Again, the answer is no. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. So why is it that we can come to church on Sunday morning and praise God and wonderful things come out of our mouths, but then we leave church and we go home, we go on our way, and evil things start to come out of our mouths. It shouldn't be, God says. The first and most important part of our Christian witness is the stuff that comes out of our mouth on a daily basis. In Matthew chapter 12, let's see what Jesus says about it. Because the problem goes deeper. It goes all the way to the heart. What comes out of our mouth starts from the heart. (laughs) And I'm not talking about your physical heart. I'm talking about the source of your emotions, your feelings. That's where love comes from, your heart. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 12, beginning in verse 34. He's talking to the Pharisees at the time. He says, you brood of vipers... How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying is what comes out of your mouth starts from the heart. So if you, well, we could talk about different ways that bad things come out of our mouth, okay? But whatever comes out of our mouth has started from your heart, the source of your feelings and emotions, So you can teach a parrot to say bad words, and some parrots do, okay? But that doesn't come from the parrot's heart, because he has just been taught certain sounds, and parrots replicate sounds that they hear. But when it comes to human beings, bad words can come out of your mouth, but it's not not just because you learn bad words. It's because it has started from your heart. And that's really what's in your heart. Your heart is sick. Your heart is evil, and it's corrupt. And it shows forth by the words that come out of your mouth. That's what Jesus says. That's how deep it goes. So we can pray and pray and say, God, help me not to say bad words. Or help me not to lie or to uh, criticize. What we should be praying is, God... Create in me a new heart, because my heart is sick. Because the problem starts way deep down here. And, you know, sometimes if we look at our heart, spiritually speaking, now, you know, you can go into the doctor and they can do an EKG and, and physically test your heart, that's one thing. But God looks at the human heart as a source of either good or evil. And if bad things are coming out of your mouth, you know what? You got evil in your heart. And that's some deep-set problems. And even a physical heart transplant won't solve the problem. 
It's going to take God to change your heart, to create in you a new heart. That's what David understood when he said that to God, when he prayed that in one of the Psalms, create in me a new heart, because he knew how deep the problem really went. So there's stuff in our hearts that need to be changed. And God needs to transform our hearts. And you know what? As our hearts are changed and our hearts are renewed, all of a sudden good things start coming out of our mouths. One other verse in uh, Ephesians, chapter 4 and verse 29. Ephesians, Paul tells us the way that it should be when it comes to the speech of a Christian. And uh, think about yourself what you tend to say on a regular basis. Ephesians 4, verse 29. Notice what he says here. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So unwholesome talk. You know what I want to do? Uh, Let's make a list. Help me. How can, what are some examples of unwholesome talk that come out of your mouth? That can come out of your mouth. Now, I'm not saying the exact words. <laughs> Matthew. What is it? Gossip. That's good. You think, you think, well, I don't use any bad language. Do you gossip? You talk about people behind their backs. That's unwholesome talk. Complaining. Yeah. Being a negative person who seems to always complain. Melissa. What about lying? Lying. There you go. Lying. What else? Judging others. Yeah. Boasting. Boasting. Very good. Boasting. Any other takers? What do you got? Swearing, of course. That goes without saying. Vulgar language. uh, What else? Accusing, that's good. Somebody who may be totally innocent, you're accusing them of something. Anything else, yes? Criticizing. Criticizing, very good. It's easy to do that, isn't it? Matthew. Using your mouth as a weapon. Bringing up the past, mistakes people have made in the past. Negative things to say about your neighbor, how about the people you work with? How about in the house? How about your mate? Always uh, talking about negative things rather than positive. See, the opposite of unwholesome talk is the kind of talk that is helpful. You know, do you purposely think about saying helpful things to other people? Building uh, others up according to their needs. So... Thinking about a person maybe at work who's struggling, who's having a problem, who's fearful, who is this and that, and you're driving to work thinking, you know what, that person needs an encouraging word today. And I'm thinking about now already what I'm going to say to them. So you go into work, you know, you go up to them at, at, in the factory or at their desk, you purposely say an encouraging word. Not flattery, not lies. <laughs> Not something that isn't true, but looking for the best in that person and trying to say something that is going to be helpful. I'll tell you what, that's one thing that people notice 
most about you wherever you are, whether it's at work, at school, in the neighborhood. If, the, if you have the reputation of always having a positive thing to say, people are going to gravitate toward you because they're tired of being put down and criticized. And if they know when they go into work that you're going to be there with an encouraging word and something that is helpful for them, they're going to gravitate toward you. They did that toward Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus because they knew that they would always hear a word of encouragement from him. So you want to make a proper Christian witness? Hold a rein on what comes out of your mouth. Think before you speak. Because sometimes we don't always hear ourselves. You know, we just start going and this stuff is flowing out of our mouths. And a lot of times we don't even think or consider what we're saying. You know, if you're married or if you're at home with your parents, here's a good thing to do. Say to your mate, you know what, I'm trying to guard my mouth. I want you to tell me or to point out to me, whenever I say something negative or critical or when I use bad language, okay, just let me know. In a tactful way, please, I want you to do that because I'm working on this. And then meet your mate whenever, you know, it'd be good for you to reciprocate and say, okay, let's work on this together. I want you to do the same thing for me. Whenever I'm critical, whenever I'm gossiping, judging somebody, you bring it out to me, okay? Do you have the courage to do that? Good. Amen. Thank you. There's a team. Yeah, and when they point that out to you, say, thank you. You know, I'm sorry. And I'm going to repent to God for being so negative and critical and not showing a proper Christian witness. You know, one of the first places you demonstrate a Christian witness is at home with your mate. You're both growing together. That's one of the the beautiful things about being married is you're walking a path to the kingdom of God. You get somebody to walk with you, to help you along the way. So your speech, that's the first important part of your Christian witness. That's where you need to start working right away. Now the second thing that James brings out here, back in James chapter 1, let's remind ourselves what he says here. James 1 He says in verse 26, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. The second point, verse 27, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. So the second point is service. Service to others. Now, when it comes to our Christian witness, and in fact, uh, Pastor uh, Tkach was just talking about this today, kind of having the eyes of Jesus, looking around you to see people who are in need, people who need help of of one kind or another, and making yourself available to them. Uh, Just an example, our son Steve, we have new neighbors who moved in across the street. It's an elderly woman. And uh, her family has been helping her move in. And Steve went over there the other day and said, hey, 
there's anything I can do, they still got a bunch of stuff in the garage. Steve said, if you got something heavy that needs to be lifted, just call. I'll come right on over and do whatever you need. Just, you know, being aware of needs and making yourself service to others. He points out now widows who, you know, back in Jesus' day had no source of income from the government. They relied on the help of others and orphans as well. So just two examples. So we need to have the eyes of Jesus to see others, to see their needs, and then to do something about them. Let's turn here in uh, John chapter 17. John chapter 17. I want to read what uh, Jesus prayed on our behalf before his crucifixion and his ascension to heaven. See, it was God's intent that we remain in this world for the rest of our lives. Jesus was about to leave after his death and resurrection, and he did. But he prayed to the Father because he knew that we're still going to be here in the world, kind of slugging it out on a daily basis. We're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, but we're living in a fallen world. And we're going to be persecuted, we're going to fight a bunch of trials in our life. Notice how Jesus prayed for us. Well, you know what? Let, let me uh, go someplace else first. James chapter 2. I got the wrong verse there. Forgive me. James chapter 2. We're talking about service to others. Hold that other uh, scripture for the next uh, point. But J- James chapter 2. We're talking about seeing the needs of others and doing something about them. James chapter 2, 14 through 17. This is what James says. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, Go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, we're not saying we're saved by our works. We're saved by grace, okay? But what James is saying here is we demonstrate our faith by doing good deeds, works, if you will. So faith and deeds are necessary in our lives. Faith along with deeds We're saved by faith, but then we demonstrate our faith by the good works that we do. It's not just good enough to be religious. It's not good enough just for us to go to church on a regular basis. We're showing and demonstrating a Christian witness to others. And once again, if I may say, along with controlling your tongue, because people will notice right away that you don't use bad language. That stands out to them. And it should stand out to them, not in a boastful way, but in a humble way. The second point, people will also notice if you're the type of person who does good deeds. Not in a boastful way, not in a self-righteous way, but in a humble way. You see a need and you take care of it. Okay, People will notice that. And people will gravitate toward you. You know, if there's somebody at work who is in need, truly in need, and they have no place to turn, 
you may find them coming to you. They'll say, you know what, I have no place to turn, maybe you can help me, here's my situation. And you know what, maybe you can help, or maybe you can direct them someplace where they can find help. But they see you as a source of good works and a source of help. And that's why people came to Jesus. Remember, people brought their little children to Jesus saying, please, if you could just lay your hands on them and bless them, that's going to make us very happy as parents. So they were concerned about their kids, their protection, their well-being. They knew that Jesus was a source of good, and Jesus was a source of help. He was a man of God. So they brought their little children. The disciples said, keep these kids out of here. He doesn't have time for them. And Jesus said, get out of the way. Let the kids come to me. And he put his hands on them and he blessed them. And it set the parents' heart at ease See, they gravitated toward Jesus because they knew he was a man of God and he can provide the help that they needed, that they couldn't find anyplace else. Let's turn to 1 John 3, the general epistle, 1 John 3, verses 17 and 18. John here goes so far to say as, if you're not the kind of person who provides help and service for others, How can the love of God be in you? Wow. That's that's a tough one. (laughs) We all believe we're Christians, we're children of God, and that certainly the love of God is in us. But the love of God is not something that we hold in selfishly. It's something that has to flow out of us and touch the lives of others. It says in 1 John 3, verse 17, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need, but has no pity on him, in other words, doesn't do anything about it, how can the love of God be in him? Man, that's a low blow there. I wouldn't want anybody to say that about me. I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm trying to live a Christian witness here. I want people to think that the love of God is in me. But he says, if you see people in need and don't do anything about it, How can the love of God be in you? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. You know, from time to time we see on the news, they'll have uh, videos and tell the story about some disaster that happens. And a lot of times the the news director or whoever's doing the news will say, well, our thoughts thoughts are with them today. Well, what does that mean? (laughs) What good are your thoughts going to do for those people who are in need and who, who have suffered loss and have, who have been in a disaster? That's a nice thing to say. Well, my thought, our thoughts are with them. What good does that do? Let's get motivated and let's actually do something to help. Let's do something to help. You know, we had people in Africa who had no drinking water. And you know what? We could pray about that. And our thoughts can be about, about them. But no, the Holy Spirit motivated us to gather enough funds to sacrifice and to get that money together and to send it over there and actually get, get a well dug so that it's not just a matter of thoughts, good thoughts about it. John says, what does that do? And James said the same thing. Don't just say, well, be well. You know, our, our thoughts are with you. No, roll up your sleeves and get something done. And help them. 
So we want the love of God to be in us, and we want it to be active. And what James is trying to explain here is, if you want your Christian witness to be effective, if you want your worship to be worthwhile, keep control of your tongue and help the widow and the fatherless in their needs. But not just widows and fatherless, everybody who is in need. Point number three, the third way that our Christian witness is uh, effective. Back here to James chapter 1, he concludes that, that passage by saying, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows, and everybody else in need for that matter, in their distress, to do something about it, And finally, to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. To keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now we'll turn to John chapter 17. You know, it would have been easy for God, once we became Christian, to kind of just take us away someplace. Well, you're an official Christian now. You don't need to be in this fallen world anymore. We're going to take you to your reward instantly. Well, I don't have any problem with that. That would be great. But that's not the way God designed it to be. Now we read about Jesus' prayer about us. John 17, beginning in verse 14. John 17, beginning in verse 14. He prayed to the Father. He said, Father, I have given them, my followers, that includes us, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So we know Jesus came to this world. He walked among the people, but he was spotless. He didn't even sin. He was in the world, but not of the world. He says, my prayer is not that you take them, my followers, out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They, my followers, are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them, in other words, set them apart, by the truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified." So Jesus' plan was not to take us away from this world as soon as we become Christian. No, he was going to leave us behind, like I said, to slug it out in this fallen world on a day-by-day basis, getting through each day with the help of God, with the protection of God, with the strength of God. We're not called out of the world physically. You know, there was a time, starting in the 400s A.D., shortly after the start of the church, where some Christians got it in their head, you know, the best thing to do with this fallen world that we live in is to escape. So what they did was, they went out into wilderness places to just be apart from it, to be alone, thinking, well, once I'm alone, boy, then I can really concentrate on God and get closer to God. And they started a movement that was the monastery movement. In other words, they went out into the wilderness to live by themselves, to get closer to God. And then after a while, several different people who had chosen that lifestyle kind of got together 
and they formed monasteries. And in these monasteries lived monks. And in fact, the word monk means alone because you wanted to be separated from the world. And there were you know, famous groups like that. You've all heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls. That was a group called the Essenes who decided the same thing. We're going to get out of town and go live in the wilderness and not be tarnished by all these things going on in society. And they just lived by themselves. But that's not what God has called us to do. He has called us to demonstrate a Christian witness to the world. What good is it going to do the world if all of the Christians go out into faraway places and live by themselves? So for the men, you had monasteries. For the women, you had nunneries, convents. But that was never God's calling for us. Now, I admire the people who, who lived that way of life. It took a lot of effort and dedication. But that's not what our calling is. Jesus said, I'm not taking them out of the world. I'm leaving them in the world so that the love of God, the grace of God flows through us, goes out and touches other people. They notice who we are, what we are, what God is capable of doing in a person's life, and they want the same thing. They are called to salvation as well. So we're not meant to be separated from the world. We're to live in the world. But we're to be separated from the sins of the world. Jesus lived right out in the midst of people. Jesus didn't go off in the wilderness. He did occasionally for a short period of time so that he could come right back into the, the thick of it. He was a friend of sinners and publicans. He interacted with people. He was out in the midst of them demonstrating a Christian witness. And that's what God has called us to do. Live in the world, interact with sinners, but don't follow their lifestyle at all. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. There's a difference. We live in society, but we don't live the lifestyle of society. We're not talking about the sins of society. So hopefully we all see the difference. Now, if we weren't in society, where would our Christian witness be demonstrated? It couldn't be. One last scripture here in Romans 12, verse 2. So we need to look at our lifestyle, and as we're in the midst of the people around us at work, at school, in the neighborhood, wherever it may be, our lifestyle has to be demonstrated in such a way not self-righteously, not condemningly, but we live for God and people will notice that. Like I said, we don't condemn them for their sins. Jesus told the woman uh, taken in adultery, where are your judges when all the people split? He says, neither do I judge you. Go and sin no more. So as we live a godly life, we don't do it in a condemning way. We don't do it in a self-righteous way. We do it in a humble way. And the right people that God are calling will notice our lifestyle and may want to approach us and may, may want to know more. A lot of people won't because they've convinced themselves that you can't be a Christian in this world. And nobody's able to do that. And they don't even think that Jesus led a sinful, sinless life. They don't even believe that because they think it's impossible. But here we are out in the midst of them living a Christian life. Yeah, not perfectly. We still make mistakes. 
Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holding and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's your Christian witness, in other words. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. In other words, the sins of this world. Don't conform any longer to that. but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So separation from the sins of the world. Not separation from the world. We, we can't leave here. We've been called to dwell here. But while we're here, let's live that Christian witness by keeping control of our tongue because that demonstrates what's in our, what's in our heart. We like to believe that God's in our heart. So let's be on guard as to what's coming out of our mouth. And maybe we need to pray, not God, help me to stop saying bad words. But no, we need to pray, God, change my heart. Give me a new heart. Give me your heart. I don't want that filth to keep coming out of my mouth. Then the acts of service. Constantly aware of people around us especially people who have needs, and do something about it. Have the eyes of Jesus. You know, uh, people can walk down the street, and there might be somebody begging, or might be somebody struggling, and people can walk right past them. Because they're too into their cell phones, and their texting, and their music, and God says, take that stuff off your head, and be aware of the people around you, (laughs) okay? And do something about the needs, to the best of your ability. You can't solve everybody's problems. But God can bring you in contact with people who have problems. And you say, well, you know, Pastor John, I can't remember the last time I saw somebody who had needs or had problems. You need to pray about it. You know, when you wake up in the morning, God, bring me in contact with somebody who needs your help and let me be the instrument through which you help them. Just keep praying that. And you know what? God's going to make a connection with you and somebody else. I told you many times my neighbor across the street, Carl, the old World War II vet. That was a great situation for me because Carl always had needs. He lived to be 92 years old and he always had something going on. (laughs) And God used me in many ways. So I was thankful for that opportunity. And then separation from the sins of the world. Your Christian witness, your life should be different. Not in a boastful way where, you know, we don't walk around with a halo over our heads or we don't wear special religious clothing, you know, to tell everybody we're religious. We don't need that. People are going to be able to tell just by the way we conduct ourselves. A sincere caring for other people. A sincere effort to try to do what's right in my life. And not be sucked in to, you know, the tendencies and the habits of other people. You know, you can be a friend of somebody who's a sinner. Don't forget, we're still sinners. We're still trying to overcome. You can be a friend of them and not get into their lifestyle. That's what God has called us to do. So pure religion, pure worship. These are three excellent areas to work on. Your speech, your service, and your separation from the world. Let's get to work. Let's, let's roll up our sleeves and really seek God's transformation of our lives.
and he will respond. He wants to see changes. And he wants our lives to be Christian witnesses. You know, we only have so many years on this world. We've got to make them work. We've got to make them useful and beneficial to others. Okay, we're going to be having our uh, communion service now. So we'll have the workers go back and take their places.